but I have a little trigger for that. People slurping their coffees or, you know, making weird swallow noises or crunching too loudly. Like it just (laughs) gets into my head. It gets into my head when I'm doing it. I can always tell when I'm doing it. (laughs) Really? And yeah, with apples, chips. Yeah. And then once you know you're doing it, you can't enjoy anything anymore. The weird thing is, is I pass this on to my daughter and she now looks at me when I make little noises with the same look that I give everyone else. So, Do you reckon you're self-aware? I think so. Um, however, there are times that she calls me out, so not 100% self-aware, just maybe 80, 85%. Because it's amazing. I've, I always find it amazing how we have our own blind spots. The one that gets me is like little, you know how some people say everything? Oh, that kills me. When people say everything, particularly when it's a teacher... Or yeah. someone who you just who just shouldn't like. Every now and again, you'll you'll see someone who's highly educated. Kevin Rudd, I've heard say it. Kevin heard Rudd, Malcolm Turnbull say it. There you go, Malcolm Turnbull. Wow. Just, or, or like, you oh, know, maybe not Malcolm Turnbull. But yeah, you just just occasionally you'll you'll be thrown right. There's like a lawyer standing in front of you that drops everything, and you're just like, wait a second, what? What, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah, isn't it isn't it odd? I've, I've, I, I don't speak about this with anyone but my dad because I'm always scared I'm going to say it to someone who says it. Who says it? Oh, I, used but, to, I used to have a good friend that says it, that said it and says it still. And uh, I used to just ask because she's cool, right? I, I could just ask her, like, what's that about? She's like, oh, oh you did? just how I say it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no one else says everything, right? She's like, yeah, some, some people say it. Like, my family says it. <laughs> you go, okay. Fine. What? But here's the rub. This is the bit that gets me. I heard someone talking about it and they didn't realise they said it. Oh, no. So they have always thought it sounds ridiculous and then didn't realise that they do it. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That is just something I've taken away forevermore. Yeah. Not not to criticise on these things because you just don't know, you know what you're doing yourself. <laughs> Well, that's that's very zen-like of you, man. I yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I used to know a guy that said Pacific instead of specific, but he insi- <laughs> and knowing, I think he must have. It's on some level known that he couldn't get that word right because yeah. someone must have gone at some point. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you know, but he still loves to say specific. He used to like. He, yeah, but he would say Pacific exactly. He would use what he what he thought was specific in every other sentence because I think he just liked the word, but oh. he got it wrong every time, which is Ouch. sad. Yeah. Well, okay. we talked about everything else, but now we need to start film. the episode. Yeah. Am I doing it? I do more than you, don't I? I, I introduce it more often than you. You are the, usually the introducer. I'm the introducer. <laughs> that sounds like you know uh, someone who is the gateway to you know lifelong drug taking. <laughs> Welcome to That Reminds Me Of. Today we are talking about Last and First Men, which is the last film that we will look at from the Melbourne International Film Festival, Eight and a Half. That's crazy. Hi, Hi Baron. How are you? Good. How are you, Doc? Very so well. We're through two weeks of this festival and we and ten films. And this series, this MIF series, has kind of been a bonus outside regular scheduling. And this film is kind of a bonus on the bonus. 
It's uh, we've already done the closing night film, and this is the yep. little bit of sugar on the top. It is, <clears throat> and this film is called Last and First Men, directed by Johan Johansson, also who's, who's more commonly known as the um, as the amazing score writer composer for any number of films uh, and a lot of uh, Denis Villeneuve films and he's um, deceased he's passed away unfortunately two years ago I looked it up it didn't feel like two years but it's been two years and uh, which was a sad day because he's like he is one of my favorite composers he's great and this is one one of your the hot tips from you this festival wasn't it I remember from the very start you locked this in early and said I've got to see this Yep. For, for the for the music, for yep. the score, and uh, first impressions did it did it pay off? Sure did. Beautiful and another beautiful score. I I absolutely loved it. Such a wonderful experience. And just sadly, the, this was his last film. And watching it when I first went in, I I wasn't expecting to see his name appear as director like i didn't realize he'd also directed it which gave me so much more respect for the for what the man had done with his career that he was also off to the side kind of making passion projects where he was directing as well as as well as being one of the most prolific film composers going in the business and just going from heights height to height in in his career as a composer i thought what a what a dude and it was sad that we lost him has he directed things before uh before this one there was just a short doco on there okay. so they're really just two projects yeah that okay. are listed anyway well this was a unique one it's certainly um not quite the narrative driven drama comedy or horror that we've um dealt with so far in the festival so no. it's a unique no. experience it is it's kind of like uh watching a it's kind of like listening to an audiobook and watching mm. an art video at the same time yeah, watching the watching the Spotify sort of um, yeah exactly screen save or whatever. Oh, it is. that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> that little repeating uh, whatever yeah. montage or you know tiny little snippet of a video clip. That's what it, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, this thing done in like gorgeous. It looks like sixteen millimeter film in black and white, Icelandic landscapes and mm. art. That's what you're seeing. Um, I'll just jump into a a, a synopsis might as well tell people what this film is about yep so it's so uh, Last and First Man is based on a novel uh, by I had his name written down here Olaf Stapledon he's a sci-fi author uh, and from the past he's he's passed away and this this sci-fi story is the is the sort of audio book it feels like that you're listening to while you're watching mm. this and it's narrated by Tilda Swinton. Yep. So she does a, she does an amazing job. She's she's great and um, what you're getting is this story of a civilization from 2 billion years in the future. It's where man has has gone 2 billion years from now. Yep. Uh, sending a message back to to today and telling us that the future is is fraught and that there's going to be a, a time where um you know we'll have to leave earth and send our our few and best people off to neptune of all places because yeah. there's going to be a some sort of solar event that'll make the sun swell up 
a, a billion times or whatever it is, and uh, all these planets that are closer than Neptune won't be habitable anymore. Mm. And then they go on to describe a second coming of one of these sorts of events, and how they how they're gonna how they have to move again. And you're getting this sort of history play out between mm. those between those two things and it's sort of a cautionary message back from the future and the whole thing is set against imagery of Iceland and this sort of brutal concrete architecture and sculptural works that must be spread out around Iceland um, against like cloudy grey skies and um, and then of course Johan Johansson's beautiful score mm. laid over the top which he which I wouldn't be surprised if he basically started with the score and, and these words and went from there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know what the starting point was, Yeah, wouldn't it? Because you've almost got three separate bits of art, the yeah. score, the, the, the book with the narrative, and then the images just thrown together and they just happen to work beautifully together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think of... I mentioned before the episode that I was going to mention Simon and Garfunkel, but it reminded me of uh, Scarborough Fair or any any song <laughs> where where two melodies are intertwining. Oh, I love it. Um, so yeah, two separate bits of art, and they just happen to to work nicely together. What are your overall thoughts about this film? I mean, I think you can tell that I'm a big fan of parts of it at least. Mm. How do you coming into this fresh? How, how what was your take on the film? What did you enjoy or about it or not? Yeah, a bit of both. I I love the idea. I thought it looked beautiful, sounded beautiful. The the story was engaging and odd and weird and I thought it took turns and had sci-fi concepts that I've perhaps not thought of before. So it was a, just a bit of a unique ride. So I loved all those elements. I must say I felt it went on a bit and about two-thirds of the way through I was thinking okay i've i've got what i needed to get out of it i've enjoyed it i think it's beautiful but you know i, I started fidgeting yeah you know, with my phone and and things a little bit um keeping your attention for that long when you're when it is so same same throughout is is a tricky tricky one i totally agree mm. uh it saddens me to say it but i think this film is about a 15 minute film you know like it just mm. feels like it's a short film and if it yeah. was a short film it'd be a knockout short film like it would it would storm the festival circuit you know but as a feature it it there wasn't enough of a story in in any of it really to get us through i think what turned out to be 70 minutes or something like that yeah it was just too long too long beautiful but too long it was more a a bit like she dies tomorrow it was a great concept yeah and this one i i think was executed far better but executed far better for too long <laughs> and there there was a point as much as i was loving the fir- i think i loved the first 15 minutes of it just yeah likewise loved the first 15 minutes and then there was a point about midway through where i felt like i had to get up and walk around and stuff it was just getting hard to watch and what popped into my head was that this was the ultimate how does my art move you moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like as great as it is, you have to know when to cut away from it and just stop what you stop this. It's, just, it's going on too long. Yeah. But you're losing people now, you know, like it sort of wasn't that self-aware, unfortunately. Yeah. I think I they, they throw in a couple of these every myth uh, that, that I usually 
just lap up, or at least I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see them in the program and I say, yes, I'm an arty guy. I'll sign up to that. I always probably am happy that I've signed up to it, but it's, it always takes a bit out of you to get through them. It's the sort of stuff that you'll see, you know, when in a museum when they've got a cinema room that where the tape keeps, where the film just keeps rolling, yeah. and you just you you walk through and you you watch five or ten minutes of it, think it's wonderful what they're doing with sound and music and sound and vision and everything, <laughs> and you get the gist. Yes. And then you go on to the next exhibit. I'm out. I can't watch the rest of this. Yeah, I, I've been <laughs> in that position so many times. Yes, video art or whatever that's called yeah. is notorious for that. Overplaying every hand and just, yeah. you know, wallowing in it. But I, I think, though, that this sort of showed shows a little bit the limits of Johan Johansson's sort of... And, and he's working within his limits of, like, filmmaking. Mm. He's not trying to make a drama. He's basically taking the words that he loves from a from an old science fiction novel, rewriting it, shaping it to this format so that he can score it and put these images that mm. he's got in mind over it, you know? And that's it. It's sort of, he's keeping it simple and playing in the areas that he's good at. Yeah, look, while while I started to lose interest a bit, I'm not really prepared to be too critical because it really, from, from well, the whole thing was a really beautiful work of art. Like, you can't mm. really fault it. So no, I don't, I don't mind that it played long. It, like it's not trying to get into get it get on Netflix and get the most viewers. No, but exactly. I think. <laughs> no, I think I think that's right. I think this was a, a definitely a passion project, just something mm. that he had in mind and knew he could do himself. You know. Yeah. What did you think of the visuals? I can see your zoom backdrop as we speak mm. is one of yes. the one of the more striking ones. Um, but it was filled with really nice looking scenery <laughs> i think i was just in, falling in love with iceland the whole way through this and it was iceland yeah i think so yeah yeah okay and was... and just loving all of the public art that they must have there just it's 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 incredible was this um did i read soviet era um... it does but i just think this is what iceland's like i haven't been yeah. there so I, I can't really comment but it feels like that is the country big rolling hillsides and mountains with crazy concrete and steel mm. like monuments and uh, sculptures up up on all the hilltops you know yeah i, I know why they call it brutalist because it's yeah. just brutal it is i love how they they got movement out of some of these objects with the um with the mm. use of you like know that parallax effect and things like yeah. that yeah some sometimes it looked like a dali or escher painting yeah you know where you could just it felt like things, you know, inanimate objects were actually moving across the screen. Absolutely. I haven't looked him up yet, but uh, you have to you have to mention Sterla Brandt Grovlin. That's a hard name to say. Okay. Icelandic um, cinematography uh, c- cinematographer who did an amazing job on this. Mm. I mean, but how can you get it wrong in some ways as well? Like if you've got that old grainy film and it's black and white and you know such a strong direction, mm. such beautiful setting. You should be able to smash it out of the park, but he did a great job. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and that's the sort of thing that I would probably say, like, why? Surely I could do it if they're just if they're just <laughs> standing there, these these structures, uh, and just point the camera at them. Yeah, there's more to it than that. At, right? at a base level, <laughs> I, I feel like I should be able to do it, but yeah, I don't think my end result would look quite as nice. No, it wouldn't look. Yeah, probably not. Well, I don't know if you spend yeah. enough time there doing it. 
Yeah, don't be so quick to to agree <laughs> with me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, so I have a lot of remind me ofs for this film, actually. Lots of things popped into my head as I was watching it. Probably because it was playing long and I was sitting there starting to think ahead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Any, any for you? Uh, well, it starts off as 2001 with the obelisk. That's um, number one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, and, that's a clear one for sure. And, and, that, and that really travels through the whole thing a little bit it's got the sci-fi bit it's got the weird structure bit it's got yeah. the um what else has it got the the, the sorts the, of the score is a is a little reminiscent yep and this kind of uh this feeling of uh, of a greater power or a more evolved person or mm. species sending a message back yes. it's got that yeah. as well hey before we get on to more reminds me of what did you think of the story itself I think I liked the first half of the story more than the second half. I think it was it mm. suffered from almost the same thing as the rest of the film in yeah. that it played really long and meandered uh, in, but without actually sort of ratcheting up any tension or upping mm. the, the ante in any way. So you just sort of, it just felt long, felt like it needed to be a lot shorter for, for where it ended up. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems, because this is a novel, isn't it? 1930 mm. novel, yep. 336 pages it says. So whatever the case... They're not going to get the whole novel out there. This is a full-on abridged version with the yep. the best little quotes. Yeah. Um, so I think I like the vibe of the story, but just don't see the need to say too much of it. Like, because you can't say it all, you can't encapsulate it all. So let's just get get that vibe in, and then go and have a cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that's right and, and they could have had the same arc of the story we could have ended begin, yeah. begun and ended where we did but just took a lot of the middle out or just condensed it wouldn't have been hard but mm. you know he probably wanted to make a feature film he probably yeah. wanted to make that he didn't want to make a short film i'm guessing and and so maybe a lot of these decisions to play it long were on purpose did you think the like the the visuals were a nice yeah, like juxtaposed against the sound and the the words. Yeah, but were they telling? Were they telling enough of a story in themselves? I, I don't think so. Like occasionally, you'd you'd really like the um, they play off each other particularly well. Like yep. when I think they were talking about what these future human species looked like, and they looked a bit like this, and the colours of their skins and the a telescope coming out of their head and um yeah and they looked elephantine yes which you, did, you didn't see that word coming no no <laughs> um and all the while we're looking at these structures that kind of look vaguely humanistic but but weird yeah so i thought that that played well but there were too many spots where it seemed sort of outside of the story and not necessarily complimenting Totally agree. It's it's that thing where where he's gone out and filmed a bunch of, you know, monuments and statues, and then tried to make meaning of what he's just gone and filmed, mm. right? And just put it against words that sort of match. And at times he's had, he hasn't had enough choice, and he's just had to reuse things and stretch them and yeah. play them long and use all of his B takes that he had <laughs> yeah, and yeah. all that. You know, um, you definitely got that feeling from it. And the fact that you get that feeling, like you're a filmmaker, I'm not, but I got that feeling too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. the fact yeah. that you, it go, it plays long enough for you to start to see the artifice behind it is probably a problem. 
it is a problem. And look, I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like to be realizing that you're going to have to stretch into that footage that you mm. didn't think you were going to have to use and try and make this edit work. You know. Yeah. So. Well, could I just um, do another reminds me of then? Yes. And this is the second time I've done it to you, but this reminds <laughs> me of one of your pieces as well. Uh, permission, to, permission to continue? Go for it, because it, it reminded me of it as, as well, for sure. I'm sure it reminded you of the process of, of making it, but yes. um, uh, this is, to my knowledge, unreleased. So <laughs> audience, uh, Baron, one, a recent little project he worked on was um, after the Aussie bushfires, uh, he shot this great drone footage of the, the aftermath of the fires and then put to that uh, a little poem, I guess, spoken, spoken word piece, uh, that related to the bushfire theme, but played off it, and they, you know, the sound and image words and everything were just vaguely connected, and the end result was was really really nice. And I thought you um, held it just for the right time in that piece because it was a, a short film, a very short film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, I, I was just making comparisons the whole way through. You were me too. That's funny. Mm. I, I, this, this film, watching it, felt so familiar to me because of, I've just gone through that process earlier this year. Mm. And, uh, and like I was just saying, gone through all of my drone footage, made the decision I want to only use drone footage, right? So that cut down my options. <laughs> and then you start going, so I need to use as much of this as I can. <laughs> you know? yeah, and I need yeah. to milk it just the right way for this to work. So I... I felt like I understood this process really well that he must have gone through yeah. um, just to try and align these images. And of course, because in, in his case, he's got a, he's got a book that he's, he's working from. In my case, it was just figuring out a little, writing a little poem, which gave mm. me all the license in the world to move things around if I wanted to as well. Yeah. But then I was doing exactly what you're saying. Well, those words go nicely with that image and uh, the music should swell a little bit here. And, you know, it was, it felt, uh, it was actually really fun, really fun mm -hmm. process. And I, and I can understand why, you know, someone like Johan might want to do this because I got so much pleasure out of doing this between uh, yeah. much more structured, serious projects. Like it was just a real delight to work on it. Yeah. You, you did, you did have that flexibility of, of writing it completely yourself. So yeah. You didn't have to match anything to something concrete. But that said, he also had the whole book. He had the 330 pages. Yeah, um, true. So I'm sure there was a lot of material um, yep. and, and yep. didn't necessarily have to use it all. No, no. And mine was six minutes and his is yeah, 70 or so. <laughs> so much more mammoth task that he had to go through. <laughs> I think that's such an important point, at least for my enjoyment of these types of films, where you the real um, genius is in the concept mm, and yeah. that's you you see you see the first five or six minutes of this film and it does everything it needs to do to you in that five or six minutes you take away so much from it there just doesn't seem to be any value in hanging around too long for this type of art that's a real lesson and you know, um, I think I showed you an early cut of that bushfire film, and it was it was a lot, a lot longer. And mm. you know, you, you the more 
and even now when I look back at the film, I think oh, it probably could be shorter still. You know what I mean? But I think like the more you can trim these things down, the better off it is. If you can get your message across with like full mm. punch in less time, then it's probably going to do better overall. It's funny, and seeing those early cuts of your one shows me how perfect you've got to get it. Because sometimes there would be things that just jarred and and they would jar until you solve them. Yes. And and then then it's right. So every frame, every beat is is super important to to marry all the elements together. That's exactly right. When you get it right, you can sit back feeling satisfied, and it, you mm. you know it's going to work. Definitely. Um, I should mention um, that film. It's called Home. Um, is going to be premiering at a festival soon but i'm not allowed to say which one it is yet because they haven't done their full announcement so uh, no but we'll be sure to give it a bit of yes, airtime we'll, once it does we'll do a little plug <laughs> when the time is right and people uh out there in the world might want to go to check that festival out because it's a good one what else can we say about this one baron any other reminds me of uh i i have a i have a couple so i might just mm. without spending too much time on each of them i might just go through them but yep the first one that popped into my head was 2001. We've said mm. that already. Then I thought Robert A. Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. Have you ever read that book? No. So the basic premise is a guy who's born on Mars finds himself on Earth. He basically hitches a ride back with some astronauts. Yeah, yeah. But this is, ast- this is somehow astronauts like set in the 70s. And uh, he gets back to Earth and he s- sort of realizes he has kind of superpowers in mm. this planet um, and becomes a Jesus-like figure slowly. <laughs> but the whole time he's talking about the differences between Mars and Earth. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of talk about kind of uh, us versus them and how sort of advanced we are. And that's, that's what this film feels like a lot of, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and like this, this book was, must have been written early 1900s because I think... Um, the author was born in like 1880 something so um you get a sense of there's a sort of a feeling of the past this is like old science fiction mm. and ideas like you can live on neptune which i think we all kind of now know is sort of impossible um but to an author in the eight, in the early 1900s maybe it seemed totally plausible you know so isn't, isn't science fiction especially from that era just fascinating yeah think of um H.G. Wells and what is he, Brave New World guy? No. No. I know who you're talking about, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost it. I know it well. Uh, <laughs> they come up with the ideas and then it's almost as though our science follows follows them because science is only, progress is, is only possible based on an idea of what might be possible. So science, science fiction is is not just playing around sometimes, it's really... It's informing what we bother to explore. Absolutely. And then it seems like it's been, you know, a, a premonition moment, but really it's been the informer. Which, which actually brings me to my next one, reminds me of, which is another science fiction book uh, called Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Ender's Game. That, that, wasn't that turned into a film? It was. It was turned into a really disappointing film that, okay. that killed me to watch because it's heard that such before. a great book. Such a great book. <laughs> Oh, it's actually a series of books, but hmm. um, particularly the first one is, is awesome. Uh, and in that, there's kind of like a bug-like species that's been at war with humans for some period of time. And they've, the humans have basically driven this species to extinction through hmm. this war. 
uh, and they're about to sort of drop the mother load of bombs and just wipe the last of them out. And meanwhile, while this is happening, there's a little boy who's just joined the academy who's going to be sort of trained up as one of their elites, right? And part of the program is they play this game. It's a computer game that you kind of go into. It's like a virtual mm. reality experience. And you have to solve all these puzzles. Ah, uh, yeah. And the puzzles, the puzzle game, eventually basically brings Ender, the main boy, through a bunch of like tests and messages where he starts talking with the last remaining queen of this species. And she's yeah. basically impl- like getting him to, to a point where he'll be able to physically save their species. And so, and it's just this great, it's just great, like much more advanced civilization, close to being wiped out, talking to a boy and explaining what, how, how the world works and what he needs to do. Yeah. Trying to win him over. Did you ever read Space Demons as a kid? No, Space Demons. That wow. sounds, sounds a bit similar where the kid ends up being inside some computer game. I can't remember a damn thing about it, but you, <laughs> it just for a moment sounded like you were oh. describing describing it. Classic. I remember loving it, but um. Well, how many of the kid turns uh, ends up in a video game? Things have there been? <laughs> There's been a lot. Is is Tron along those years. lines? Isn't yeah, it? Tron's one yeah. of those. Tron's probably the most famous. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And the more re- Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Mm. That was really well done. It yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Ender's Game is one, uh, and the movie wasn't great, unfortunately. There was a whole... Remember the, back in the 90s, early 90s, I reckon, early to mid, there was like a whole spate of like th- VR films, related films, that they thought VR was about to take off. Do you remember that? Uh, you, you had like The Lawnmower Man, and <laughs> um, there was oh any number Tron was one of them, but there was like any number of these films where like people were going into video mm. game worlds and becoming kind of ah uh, so the the theme was VR. Yes, I, I was thinking you're talking about actual VR, and I thought that was a bit early well, back then. I think they thought VR was like what we they was three D was going to become that like oh it's so encompassing that you're going to end up being inside <laughs> the world. And you're going to wear gloves and full-on suits and just like walk around inside these worlds. You know, they had that whole, they had yeah. a premonition of that. And it's coming back around. Well, like if you look at Black not, Mirror. Is that not what it's kind of, is that not still our I think that's still the goal. of what it will be? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, it'll be way cooler than the way they envisaged it. But yes. Mm. Weird. Yeah. If you listen um. to uh, Elon Musk at all and his sort of nightmare visions of the future, then... It's on the way. <laughs> you never know whether to get on board or just um, put him on an island by himself. Do you? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just in talking those through, I hadn't thought of really many reminds me of, but talking about um, future civilizations, it does make me think of a couple of other books. Uh, one being, I've remembered his name, Aldous Huxley is the Brave New World guy. Ah, yes. Yeah, and an, another novel of his is Ape and Essence. Don't know that Ape one. And essence, I think it's an early one of his, perhaps, uh, and it's a future civilization and a. I think the only, the only country to survive some awful uh, apocalyptic event was New Zealand. That sounds exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's exactly the same. <laughs> That's come to be. <laughs> wow, I didn't even put that together. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Aldous Huxley predicted yeah. how the world would respond to coronavirus. Um, <laughs> and it involves a, a voyage from New Zealand to, I think it's to North America and, and just the, uh, you know, from, from the perspective of someone who hasn't changed at all, then seeing what the civilization in this post-apocalyptic world has become. Mm. And so just that interplay between, you know, uh, who we are now and who we might become. Yeah, uh, is, absolutely. Is, was quite similar. That was such a, that was such a nice, strong theme through this film. That's probably the thing that I enjoyed mm. the most is just, just Tilda Swinton breaking down in that first 15 minutes, like how, mm. th- how things have gone from now till then. It's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I was also really reminded of Sigur Rós, which is like an Icelandic band that just I makes love, these... I love them. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. I just, well, the music that he was doing in sections... The way yeah. he was writing the score against the Icelandic background just made me think of them, like through and through. You know, they suffer from the same problem though, because you you listen to them for a minute or two, and <laughs> your mind gets blown. Yes. And then, unless you're on some, you know, heavy drugs, <laughs> it, um, <laughs> you know, you can't just listen to them all day. I suppose, no, you can't. Or, or if you're just meditating. Perhaps, you have to um, be meditating or going on like a drive-through picturesque scenery of some sort to, for that music yeah. to really work. Yeah. yeah. They're cool, though. They're similar. Yeah. Very cool. That's it. That's pretty much it. I mean, of course, anything anything Johan Johansson, mm-hmm. Arrival, Prisoners, Sicario, like one of the best scores ever. You know, I, I, just, I, don't, know, I don't know any of those references you just said. Yeah, right. Mm. Well, pretty much anything that Denis Villeneuve has made... Mm. Johan Johansson has scored it and that combo those two creative minds together is amazing love all the films well hey then if you have you have you seen Sicario though no no that could be a homework film for you I think it might have to be we need to have a homework episode we need it we need another one right it's been a little while yep Sicario and Aliens 3 I've still got on my list (laughs) Aliens 3 (laughs) and Arrival that's the alien theme and Johan Johansson if you can do those three you're good (laughs) <laughs> have, have you seen oh you seen the original time machine uh ooh, let me with, think with what's his name rob robert taylor i don't think i have that's, if i have it was so long ago that i can't remember it that's cool this film doesn't necessarily remind me of it but now that we're talking about future civilizations <laughs> all the sci-fi uh, stuff yeah whenever i think about future civilizations and time travel my mind completely goes to the time machine um both the novel, the novel, but also that particular film version. Which, you know what, I don't want to give anything away because you're going to go see Arrival at some point. Mm. This Arrival, also scored by Johan, is like the one of the perfect remind-me-ofs for this. Absolutely. Okay, Arrival. Noted. Yep. Noted. Well. On that um, note. To... On that note. What a great <laughs> film. What a, what a, just, just I love what, the, what he was doing here. It yeah. is too long. It goes on a bit, but just what he's what he's achieved with with this and what he was going for is great, and I and I still appreciated it, even though mm. I got uncomfortable towards the end. <laughs> One little spark of brilliance that just occurred to me. I don't know how to articulate it, but the so I think I was wrestling with the fact that there was a narrative in the dialogue in the voiceover, but no real narrative in the vision it was yes. just 
that is a problem. Just, just what it looks like. And I was trying to work out what the real meaning of the vision is other than looking beautiful. But maybe it's just like we're looking into the future and the future looks all mm. um, weird and unrecognisable. In a way, this is our near past, which looks just as... Um, mm, we, all the symbolism. Yeah. Just as foreign. So um, I don't know what that's saying other than you know, our, our present is very different to both our past, past and our futures. I, I like know. that. That's a, that's a smarter take on it than I had, I think. That's, that's good. What, what I, all I was taking from this was that he's, he was walking around Iceland one day and went, man, that, <laughs> that statue looks like it's a little bit from the wasteland of humanity at the end of their time yeah. on Earth. You know, like that might be all that's left when we're all blown off the, pla- the face of the planet by some solar event, right? Yeah. And then he went, that reminds me of that book that I read once. <laughs> that reminds me of that book I read. <laughs> That's so right. I think, you, I think you've nailed it. And what better, better um, reflection to end on than you nailing it. So. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Doc, that wraps up Myth. Myth is done. No Myth more Myth. Myth is done. For this and year. Our next one, I guess, will just be a normal episode. A normal mm. episode, and we're going to make it something fun. We don't know what it yeah. is yet, but we're going to decide <laughs> yeah. on something really like the opposite of artsy. It's just going to be really yeah. shallow and full of explosions and fun. So we've, if we've lost anyone over the last <laughs> few weeks, yeah, we'll be back next next time. We'll get you back. Tune yeah. in next time. Cool. See you, Baron. Awesome. Cheers, Doc. <laughs>